I wish to talk to you today under the title of Sin Brings a Man Low, But Grace Sets Him on High. About three things from this passage. Firstly, what sin does to man. Secondly, what the Lord does to sinners who repent. And thirdly, why and how he does it. Three very simple points that I trust will be make the gospel clear and simple. But not only for those unbelievers here. I trust that this would be a blessing upon those who are, of us who are believers. Because as we live this side of glory, we still struggle with sin. And it is one of the characteristics of sin that sin brings a person low in many ways. The proposition from which I take this in our text is when the Lord says I will set him on high because he has known my name God's grace sets someone on high a sinner on high because he has known my name and it's hardly the, the, the only place in scripture where we find this idea of sin bringing a man low it's probably not even the clearest of places Psalm 146 that we just read, actually speaks of this as well. It says that the Lord lifts those who are cast down. Psalm 147, verse 6, says that the Lord casts down the wicked. He casts them down to the ground. As the Lord was introducing uh, the people of God to his law, just before they enter the promised land in Deuteronomy, he, gave, he gives them a set of warnings. And among the many warnings, the, money, the many threats that the Lord gave to the people of Israel for, to encourage them to obey and to be faithful, he said that because if they sinned, they would sink lower and lower. You see, sin brings us all down low in our lives. So how, why sin does this? What, what, why is it that sin brings a man low? Is the first question that I have. Why is it that they need to be lifted high? To be lifted from that condition. There are many ways that sin brings a man low. Well, there are many reasons why sin must bring a man low. Sin brings a man low in God's esteem. We, we, have, we live in a society that puts a huge premium nowadays, doesn't it? In self-esteem. It's the word of the day. You judge if you... Uh, good parenting is judged by, by the self-esteem of your children. Which is always a dangerous thing because that makes them the judge, the jury, and the executioner of if you are a good parent or not. But it is not so in our spiritual state, even though in our culture it is. What really matters is not about how you esteem yourself and how you esteem others. The real question is how God esteems you. What is God's opinion of you? What is God's relationship with you 
And we are told in scripture in many different ways that sin lowers man in God's esteem. This is from the beginning. God created Adam and Eve perfect, very good. And it was sin that marred their position before God. Man may think a lot of, lot of high thoughts about himself. In fact, that is the, one of the greatest problems of the day. Pride went on from being a sin and was shifted in our culture as being something good and proper. And man loves to have high thoughts. You, you look at that person. It no longer is the pride of sin. He's a confident, confident individual. That is a, a, a good thing. It really doesn't matter what the world thinks of you. Ultimately, what really matters is what God thinks of you. You see, there was a very illustrious, a very noble, a very uh, well-thought-of leader in, in, in the history of the world. He was one of, the, uh, of those that followed from Alexander the Great. When Alexander the, the Great uh, died... His kingdom got broken up into four kingdoms, if I'm not mistaken. And one of the leaders, Antiochus Epiphanes, he was quite an illustrious king. He was very well thought of by his peers. We read in Daniel 11:21 that God says that he was despicable. The next to come to power in this, in this prophecy that, that Daniel records for us says will be a despicable man. Why was he despicable? Because of his sin. He was Antiochus Epiphanus uh, that brought the worship of Jupiter or Zeus into the temple. He defiled the worship of God in Jerusalem. He was, by all accounts, a despicable man doesn't matter what society thought of him, how highly they, they thought of him. He was indeed a despicable man. The psalmist in Psalm 14 says that we all like have become corrupt. And, and the idea that is like we spoke of last week is that we become defiled, filthy, dirty. Scripture often talks about God, God's esteem of sinners in very strong terms. The Lord compares the sinner to dross, to chaff. In Ezekiel 24, he calls sinners a pot of boiling scum. In 2 Peter, it calls sinners dogs, returning to their vomit, he says. Our Lord Jesus called the sinners a brood of vipers, a cursed animal. So, you see... A sinner's high opinion of himself bears no weight. If he stands before the Lord as a sinner, he is low in his position. He is not only low in, the, in God's esteem, but sin also brings a man low in, in his intellectual capacities. We know this, that sin makes us blind, as we just read in Psalm 146 makes us blind, unwilling to understand, unable to understand, especially the spiritual things. 
We cannot contain God. Even when we, we are regenerated, it's hard for us to contain God. So, even much more so when we are outside of God's grace. Sin dims the light of intellect to the things of God. Sin brings a man to be low in the, his spiritual state speaking mostly to believers here, if you sin and carry on in your sin, you become seared in your conscience. You, you end up in this kind of spiritual lethargy, don't you? It's as the prophet says that the Lord pours out upon you a spirit of deep sleep closes your eyes. It's as if no sermon can stir you up. No exhortation or consolation from Scripture brings you any good. You become insensitive to the situation your soul is in, to the wrath of God. Sin brings a man low to the lowest pits of emotional distress, of desertion. The psalmist cried out, you have placed me, you have laid me in the lowest pit. The, the, the bride in Songs of Solomon cries out, my beloved has withdrawn himself, he has gone. Christ knocked, the spouse was lazy, she didn't want to rise off her bed because of slothfulness. She did not open the door immediately. And God withdrew his presence, his golden beams from the soul. And sin brings man low into desertion, to despair as well. But ultimately, for the unbeliever, Sin brings a man low to the grave. We know that it is because of sin that death and suffering has entered the world. We know that it is because of sin that uh, death has entered into creation. But more so than that, sin brings a man low to the lowest of graves, to the bottomless pit, as the Puritans used to call it, of hell. Sin brings us low to hell. And what is, it, what is hell? We don't talk enough about the lowness of hell. Hell is where tormenting fire knows no end. Hell is where body and soul forever are tormented. They have no end. They have no intermission. You know when you're in pain, when you're struggling, and some of you are well acquainted with pain, I know. And it is only when you go to sleep that there is a sense of relief, because while you're sleeping, no pain hurts you, right? In hell, there will be no sleep. There will be no intermission. There will be no rest. Revelation 4, 8 says, they have no rest, day nor night. 
It is permanent, eternal, unrelenting. But it's more than just physical pain. In hell, the greatest pain was, will, will be to know that you have heard the gospel, that you have seen the, 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 the something of the Lord's goodness or heard something of the Lord's goodness and you refused it. That's why there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth when you see those being drawn into the kingdom of God. When you yourself heard the gospel and refused to bow your knee. In hell there will be no one to sympathize with you. Isn't it one of the things that brings some sort of comfort, some sort of respite when we are suffering in this world? Even though no one can help us at times, it is a comforting thing to know that there are other people sympathizing with us. It brings comfort to know that when we are suffering, we have friends we have people who are alongside us. And even though they are not suffering the same pain we are, there is a very real sense that their companionship eases the pain. It will be not so in heaven or in hell. God's mercy will not pity you any longer because you abused it God the Father will not pity you. Jesus Christ will not pity you. Your friends, your family that have gone to heaven will not pity you. Why? Because in heaven we will have our wills completely transformed in tune, in harmony with the will of God. There will be no pity for you in hell. Isn't that the lowest place that sin brings us to hell being brought down to hell you see sin brings us low because sin is a disease as we spoke of last week it's, it is something that mars the soul that defiles the the soul in the presence of god sin brings a man low because it is what brings us into war with god god is at war with sin and we if we love sin and if we live in sin we are at war with god it is very much what the the people of israel the wicked in the in the days of jeremiah say we will not listen to your messages from the Lord. We will do whatever we want. We will burn incense to the Queen of Heaven and sacrifice to her just as much as we like. We will not listen. We love the sin. We will continue in sin. So you are at enmity with God. The word for sin in Hebrew, one of the words that is translated as sin, is the word that denotes rebellion, strife against something. Sin ultimately brings a man low because sin seeks to bring God low. The, in, in man's esteem, that is. Isn't that the case? Why do you carry on sinning? 
It is true of believers and unbelievers alike. It is true of unbelievers who are agnostic and somewhat uh, religious. It is true of unbelievers who are complete atheists. Why do you carry on sinning? Ask anyone. Because they don't have a high enough view of God's holiness. So sin, in a sense, is us having this low view of God to such an extent that we think that this sin is not too bad. So sin must bring a man low. Because sin denotes low thoughts or imagination of who God is. So sin must bring a sinner low. Ultimately because it exposes the sinner to the curse of God. This is our condition when we are outside of Christ. This is our condition when we are washed in the blood of Christ but carry on sinning. But praise the Lord. There is hope. There is a gospel. There is good news. We read in Psalm 91 that he will set on high. And in this psalm, in this end of the psalm, we have seven beautiful promises that the Lord makes to those who will turn to him in faith and repentance. Firstly, in verse 14, we read that the Lord will deliver you. Because he has set his love upon me, therefore I will deliver him, the Lord says. Deliverance. Isn't that what we need? Having been brought low under the curse of sin, of the law in our lives, isn't that what we need? Deliverance from the just sentence that we are to receive full salvation. Isn't that what we need? To be saved. But not only Deliverance, we read in verse 14, that there is security. So the language here of being set on high is a, a very broad language. Sin brings us low into many perils. The low places in, in, a, uh, in, a, in the old ancient way of thinking is the dangerous places. That's why a, a, a city fortress, a tower, would be set up on a hill the highest possible. The higher you are, the more secure you are. That is the idea. And when it says here that he will set him on high, the Lord is saying, I will give him security. I will bring him up by grace. Sin has brought him low. I will bring him up by my grace. The third promise, so precious, a promise that he will answer. There is not one person who has turned to the Lord in faith and repentance that the Lord has not answered. God loves to give to those who love Him uh, His wise and loving ear. He loves to bless those who seek His blessing. I don't think there is a single individual that has turned to the Lord in, this, in the history of this world, in the millions upon millions, billions upon billions who have come to this world, that has turned to the Lord in faith and repentance, that has sought the Lord, that has pleaded with Him, that has called upon the Lord, that the Lord has not answered Him. I'm sure there is none, because the Lord always answers. 
he says, fourthly, that I will be with him in trouble. Isn't that the most precious thing and the most precious promise that the Lord makes to you? That whatever you're going through, whatever the need, whatever the pain, whatever the trouble, that he will be with you. Yes, the Lord said, in the world you shall have tribulation. But he also said that in me you shall have peace. Talk about being this dilemma of things. How can we be in tribulation in the world, but at the same time being in Christ, having peace? You know why? Because there is nothing that this world can do that can overcome the peace that God gives us. The next promise is a promise that is so great. I will deliver him and I will honor him. It is a promise of God's approving smile upon us, that he will honor those who love him, those who set their love upon the Lord. Number six is a promise of long life, a promise of length of days. But it's more than just the length of days of this life. It is the promise of eternal length of days being given here. But finally, the greatest and the overarching promise that is made here by the Lord to those who turn is that yes, sin has brought you low, but God will raise you up and show you his salvation. He will show you. The word for show here is a word that denotes specially joy and, 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 a, and a praise giving. These are the things that the Lord promises. So what sin does brings you low. What the Lord does raises you high in his grace. And now the question is why and how he does it. And to whom he does it. To whom does he do these things? He does these things to his children, doesn't he? He does these things to those who are his. To those who set their love upon him. To those who call upon his name. To those who, who are satisfied in him and in him alone. These days we have seen a lot of the royal family. I don't know if you're tired of seeing the royal family on TV or not. I'm not, but I'm probably not watching that as much TV as some of you. But it is all throughout the news. You cannot go anywhere and uh, go to any website that has news. The royal family is there. The Queen's Jubilee is being celebrated. And it is reckoned to be a great honor to be in the presence of Her Majesty. It's probably even reckoned to be a greater honor to be a part of the royal family. But as we know, it's a thing that you cannot make yourself to be a son of the Queen, a part of the royal family. There are many in this world who are uh, regular plebs, I think plebs is the, the word for contrary from royalty, right? Who are plebeians or, or are not part, are common folk, uh, and there are very few, there are kings and royals. 
Yet the Lord bestows on the poorest, on the most common of individuals, the greatest of all honors, the greatest of all high positions that any man can attain to in this life. That is, that is the promise that is being made here. That he will raise you up, set him on high, that he will honor him. That with long life he will satisfy and show his salvation. And the question is, how can these sinful men that have brought themselves low into the pit of, of destruction be raised up by grace into the highest position? How is it that sons of wrath, as Paul calls us, uh, calls children of wrath, as Paul says in, to the Ephesians, can be brought to be sons and daughters of God? How is it that we may join the family of the king of kings and queens? How does this change happen? And how does it happen? It happens when you come into union with his most beloved, eternally beloved son. When you come to trust upon him, Paul says to the Galatians that you are the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. Paul says to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians 1.30 that of him you are in Christ Jesus. What does it say that John says in the opening up in the prologue of his gospel, John 1.30, to as many as believed, he gave them the power, the privilege to become sons of God even to them that believe in his name. See, it's faith, trust. It is setting your love upon him. It is trusting in Christ that brings you into a sweet union with him by his spirit. It is faith that marries the, the, the now believer to the Son of God. It is faith that makes you a co-heir with Jesus Christ. It is faith that gives, him, gives you fellowship with the Father and the Son. And this is a point that needs to be emphasized. That I need to draw a little bit of qualification. There is a lot of talk that we are all sons and daughters, this universal fatherhood of God. There is a lot of talk that uh, God is the father of every human being. And in a sense, as Paul says to the Athenians, we were all fathered by him. In a sense, there is a certain sense that as being the first cause of all things, he is the creator of all mankind. Paul says to the Athenians, we are his offspring, speaking in general terms. But this is sonship by creation. And sonship by creation gives no man the cure for his sinful condition. And there is even a sense that man, that God loves all mankind. 
But that is not what brings us into this loving, paternal relationship with God. What is it then? Do you want to become a son of God? That is my question. Do you want to become a son or a daughter of God? This, this evening. Then trust. Truly repent and believe. Acquaint yourself with the blood of Jesus Christ. Acquaint yourself with your Lord. Plead with him. To, for his soul cleansing action. Be reconciled through faith with, your, with the Father. And he will make you to be truly forgiven. As though you've never sinned in his presence. And not only that. It is not only the remission of sins on the one hand. Yes. But on the other hand it's the applying of all the blessings and benefits that the Son had in coming for him. The Son takes, Jesus Christ takes our sin upon the cross. He goes down. He goes low, down low because of our sin in our stead. And all of his blessings are actually what raises us up. What brings us up. It's not that we deserved it. It's that he deserved it on our behalf. So the blessings we enjoy now, they, that inheritance of heaven that we have, is as Paul says, a co-inheritance. It is our, his inheritance with us because we are his members We are called co-heirs. Isn't it interesting? Remember being surprised the first time I, someone pointed this out to me. Co-heirs. Why is that so important? You all know the. Probably it still works in some ways in, in some cultures like that. But in ancient or far eastern cultures, the firstborn son gets the inheritance. Right? It's the firstborn son that gets the majority of the inheritance. He's the, the one who's going to carry the banner of his father. Isn't it interesting that the Lord says that in Christ Jesus we are co-heirs. What does that mean? That we become firstborn sons in the eyes of the Lord. Why? Because we're in union with Christ. Oh, consider this. Consider how sin has brought you low, how God raises you up by grace, and he does so by adopting you into his royal family. Consider the words of the, the beloved apostle. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called sons of God. How wonderful. How Awesome, in the good sense of the word. This word gets used too much. Awesome uh, is something that is quite kind of a catchy word nowadays. But how awesome, how full of awe that God should look down from heaven to earth, that the holy God should set his affection upon sinful men like we are, that he should forgive them, and that he should adopt him 
into the royal family. See, this is the highest position that any sinner can reach in this world. I know we are all celebrating this weekend the queen and his, her 70 years of faithful service and how high position of power she is in and, and how, how great she is in the esteem of man. It is nothing compared to the position that you have before God if you are his this, this evening. It's his esteem that matters ultimately. You see that God, the queen can, can call people and make them to be even uh, sirs and, and ladies and, uh, and bestow all kinds of titles. Can even make a, a common person to be a noble person probably. Not too sure about how the, the thing works here in the UK. But queens, kings, lords, commons, bishops, priests, deacons, no one in this world can do what God does. No pastor can do what God does. No one can, of their own power, make any son or daughter of God. No one can raise up a man, a sinner, like God does. And that's the greatest dignity that a sinner can have in this life, to call themselves a son or a daughter of God upon trusting him, to call the creator of heaven and earth our Father, to call Jesus Christ his only begotten Son, our brother. You may be poor, you may be lowly, but if you can say so, you are the truly, the most blessed man in this world, or among the most blessed men and women in this world.